the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who've been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that once for all is entrusted to the saints. For certain men have for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not keep their post or their positions of authority, but but abandoned their own homes. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who will suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against what they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to you who have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest, slightest qualm shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, 
in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To show others mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to prevent you from and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. We come proclaiming to you an incredible, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a free gift. And it totally sets us free. It releases us from the bondage of Satan. And we walk clean before God, rejoicing, rejoicing in his love and mercy and kindness. So we come today rejoicing. We're excited to be with you. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. With me is my sweetheart, my wife, Alexandra Greenley. Thank you for joining us today. This is Pilgrim's Progress. We're glad you're here. I just read to you the book of Joel. I'm sorry, the book of Jude. The description given here of those who have slipped in secretly among you, godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. That's why we must have revival. Without revival, great deception will come upon our hearts and our minds. We have to have the Holy Spirit poured out in power to teach us the way of righteousness, to teach us to leave the darkness to walk in the light, even as he is in the light. So we're going to go back to the revival story in the Congo. Was there something you wanted to share? Yes, I just think that some of our listeners may be wondering the connection between what you just shared and revival, so I just wanted to explain what you mean a little more. The verse he's speaking of is Jude, the fourth verse. It says, For admission has been secretly gained by some who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly persons who pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness or into a license for sin. So what Pastor Ray means when he says that this is why we need revival is that the teaching has proliferated through the church that God's grace is a covering for our sin and as a result, we can continue in sin and be saved. And Jude is saying this is perverting the grace of God 
because God's grace does not cover our sin, but God's grace turns us away from sin and changes us so that we're free from sin. And so we see in Jude a very stern warning, and he even says in verse 13 that people who teach this, they are wandering stars for whom the deepest darkness has been reserved forever. So in other words, the worst place in hell is reserved for those who teach others that they can continue to sin and be saved. That's frightening. Yes. But it is the straight word of God. Well, let's let's share the story of revival, and I'll tell you why we're doing it. <clears throat> because as we share the story of revival, it will hopefully inspire you and cause you to cry out to God cause you to seek his face for revival in your life and in the church today that has been utterly deceived by hirelings. So the book we're reading from is called The Spirit of Revival, a first-hand account of the Congo Revival of the 1950s, compiled and edited by Norman Grubb. You can read it online for free at gospeltruth.net. So where we left off yesterday, if you'll remember... We shared about um, the evangelists in Opiange in the Congo were having a special meeting. And some people walked up to 100 miles to come to this meeting. And the Holy Spirit came in incredible power. And men, women, boys, and girls were all loudly and publicly confessing their sins and rejoicing in great ecstasy and praise at their freedom in Jesus. So he continues describing what happened in this meeting. He writes, Some people would be in such an agony through the spirit of conviction upon them that their cries were pitiful, yet there was nothing we could do, so we urged the people to pray. Those continual urgings to prayer have led them into a wonderful praying attitude which has become a feature of most meetings. As soon as a person gets up to pray, practically the whole congregation will pray simultaneously, some standing, some sitting, without any disorder or confusion. On one occasion, we saw the enemy trying to lead people astray. It was when some people were giving their testimonies, and I noticed that, though they were people who had confessed sin the previous night and had a time of praising the Lord for forgiveness, they were now asking him to forgive them again instead of testifying to his glory. One or two had already sat down before the Lord brought this to my notice. I straightaway challenged the next and asked if he had not praised for forgiveness the previous night. Yet the next to speak did exactly the same thing. Then I recognized the hand of the enemy and putting unbelief into the hearts of young converts. So I stopped the testimonies and asked the people to pray. What a hard time we had! But after pleading with the Lord to give us victory, we came out into a large place with a great shout of victory in the camp. Some people have criticized us for what they termed taking a hand in the revival, on the ground that the Holy Spirit is well able to deal with the people. But there is a great difference between hindering the Spirit in his work and being used by the Spirit. I praise the Lord from a full heart that the evangelists and elders were so one with us during those wonderful meetings. 
Together we learned lessons, and now they are being used in wondrous ways in the area. After the people had returned to their villages, we had a very busy time on the station. Nearly everyone had some affair to put right or debt to settle. One former house worker brought a flowered soup plate to my wife, saying he wished her to accept it as when he was with us he had smashed so many of our dishes that the spirit had convicted him and told him to show his sorrow in this practical way. Our present worker handed her some money, saying it was for needles and money he had stolen. At first we were inclined to refuse the money, but the Lord led us to accept, showing us that it was good for their own soul's sake to make proper restitution. Another point in our houseworker's testimony was when he said, These white people like their beds made every day. That's one of my jobs. As my white lady was busy with her duties of school and medicine, I hardly ever did my job thoroughly. But now since the Holy Spirit has come into my life, that bed gets done every day. Others, even among the leaders of the church, have confessed to unfaithfulness and have been willing, when the church thought fit, to be disciplined. One of the elders had seen many of his friends being blessed, but himself had no such experience. I happened to be looking in his direction in one meeting and saw him glancing around at this and that, one actively filled with the Spirit. Then I saw him trying to work up the blessing by shaking and trembling all over. After a few minutes of this, he gave it up and was looking very sorry for himself for the rest of the evening. A few weeks later, my coworker heard him testify, after he had experienced the real thing, to his attempt to work up the blessing and his failure. His case, and that of one or two others, gave us the opportunity of pointing out the danger of counterfeit. The people were amazed at the sensitiveness of the Holy Spirit to what they called small sins. The breaking of the sixth, seventh, and eighth commandments they understood. But heart sins, like murmuring, evil thoughts, and criticism, they had thought he would not be so particular about. But when they came under terrible conviction over such sins, then they saw them as God sees them. Tunziako, for instance, had spoken a lot against a certain missionary. For days the spirit strove with her. She would tremble terribly and get up to confess a certain wrong, but still there would be no freedom or joy. Later she would tremble again and cry piteously, asking that a certain hymn be sung, but still no freedom, until one day I was asked to go and see her as she couldn't walk. My colleague and I went. She was sitting on a low stool and couldn't move her legs. I tried to help her rise, but it was impossible. Her legs seemed fixed or stuck to the ground. We sat down near her, and all the time she was crying pitifully. Then she began to bring out with great sorrow of heart her sin of speaking against the missionary. As soon as she had finished, she was filled with joy, her knees straightened, and she stood and walked. There have been other cases of limbs fixed. One who never comes to any meetings was on his way to his wine palm to drink, when he was arrested by a deep conviction of sin. Both his hands came together at the wrists with a sense of heat, and he could not part them. Then his legs came together in the same manner, <clears throat> and he fell into a sitting position on the road. He then confessed his sins. The spirit then told him, I will release your legs so that you can walk back to your village and tell the people, but your hands will remain fixed until you have obeyed. He did so, much to the astonishment of his wife and others, 
and as soon as he had obeyed, his hands were released. An elder went out to visit him and teach him more fully the way of the Lord. He and his wife then accepted the Savior. At one of the meetings, while listening to some people confessing to the Lord, I looked toward the window, and there was a woman named Mada, whom I knew lived in sin. The Spirit bade me raise my hand and point to her and ask her when she was coming to the Lord. A few days later, when our boy was testifying in the village, Mada was listening and was suddenly thrown violently to the ground, trembling all over and crying out to the Lord for forgiveness. Next Sunday, she testified in the meetings to having been born again. And so the story goes on. Such testimonies could be added to by the score, and we praise the Lord that there is every evidence of the blessing going deep in the lives of many. Some seem to have grown up spiritually in a night, as it were. We were led to call a prayer meeting three evenings a week, in addition to any other meetings held. They have been a mighty powerhouse. What prayer! They were not selfish prayers, as we were led to pray that the blessing would spread to the other stations. What shouts of praise go forth as word has come to us week by week of one station after another being reached by the spirit of revival. A phenomenon which we whites have not yet seen, but which some of our best evangelists and Christians vouch for, is that of seeing a holy light in some of their houses. Many, have people, many people have seen it in the girls' dormitory on more than one occasion here on the mission station, Acts 12.7. Visions have been given to some of the people, many on the second coming. One of our best women describes how he had seen the rapture, the Lord coming in the clouds and hearing the trump of God and seeing the shining ones and lots of people on earth looking up and people's feet leaving the ground and gently ascending to meet the Lord, then seeing the others left behind, some spreading their arms and trying to rise, but unable to do so, and the look of horror on their faces. People that heard her describe it were very moved. One evangelist had a remarkable vision. He saw a wheel revolving in the air, and was told that endless revolving represented the prayers of those who prayed formally. Then the vision changed, and he saw a great column of smoke ascending and forming a vast cloud, which in turn appeared as if it were driven earthwards. He was told that the cloud represented the prayers of spirit-filled believers formed into a mighty weapon in God's hands to be used for the good of the nations, meaning revival. The recounting of this vision has been a blessing to many to pray without ceasing. The spreading of the blessing to the district around has been most encouraging in some areas. We hear also of Roman Catholic native teachers who are left all alone, since their flock has accepted the Lord and no more believe in their rituals. The attitude of some government officials can be seen from the words of a nearby administrator to some witchcraft people with whom he was dealing. Why do you stick to this false religion? Look at what is happening at the missionary's place. Where did the blessing come from? The ground? The forest? No, it came from heaven. It is the real thing. They are praying for us whites, and we need it. So do you. Leave your witchcraft and go there for the real things. A visit of two of the missionaries from Opinga with some Africans 
was the means of revival reaching them. Bombali and the section of the Itutu Forest had been a mission center for a number of years, but recently a fresh start was made on that new site. The building was filled with 800 people for the first meeting, and after two messages, the Spirit came down in mighty power on the whole congregation. Here, too, there had been much preparation of heart, especially in the case of one church leader in training with whom God had dealt some weeks before with shaking and confessions of secret sin, and then with a heavy burden for the lost, though working during the day at brick-making, he spent whole nights in prayer and praise, going to work on the following days with the testimony that he was as fresh as if he had slept the night through. The power fell upon the packed building, with others standing around the windows, while an African woman was giving her testimony. It was bewildering. It was overwhelming, as in the other centers, amongst adults, boys, and girls. In this instance, one of the lady missionaries tells of her own special preparation of heart for the coming blessing. Throughout the school term, I had been burdened for the girls that they might be truly born again. I had spoken much on true salvation, not only of repenting of their sins, necessary as that is, but also of receiving Jesus into their hearts by faith, as many don't seem to receive a positive experience when they repent. How I longed that the message should find a resting place in their hearts, and that they might understand and receive Jesus as their life. One night, burdened for their souls, praying for endowment from on high, while rededicating myself to his service, a strange sensation came over me. My heart was pounding. Prayer was pouring out of me. My body began to tremble. I was afraid, for I, I felt that I was probably allowing my emotions to overcome me, and I tried to still this strange experience. But from that day, I found the message to the girls charged with new power, power from on high. However short the message was, I felt God was working. He had answered prayer and given power. A week later, while we were having a short time of prayer at the service, the same strange experience came over me, and my body began trembling violently. Afraid again of the results, I brought the meeting to an abrupt close. Three days later, while having a prayer meeting with the station women, the Spirit came upon one of the women in a similar way. And a few days previously, this woman's husband had leaped from his seat in a prayer meeting, shouting and trembling as the Spirit of God came upon him. A few weeks later, we began our weekend conference when close to 1,000 people gathered with us from our district churches. We had as our guests, speakers, the two missionary from Openge and the Africans who accompanied them. God came down in our midst in a wonderful way, and the fire fell. My schoolgirls were leaving to go on holiday the day the conference was to close. 
I arranged to have a farewell meeting with them. Many confessed a sin of one form or another, such as unrighteous acts, which had meant nothing to them until the Spirit of God had convicted them. We prayed further, but I felt a hardness come over the meeting. As I was fervently and silently praying for my girls, this strange sensation that I'd mentioned came upon me again, but now, recognizing it for what it was, I did not resist. It seemed that another being had taken possession of me, as indeed was true. The Holy Spirit had come, surging through my whole body and reaching even to my fingertips. In my hands and fingers were sensations like being in contact with live wires, the strangest sensation I've ever experienced, and such as I can never forget. My heart, my whole being was praising God, and as I could keep silent no longer, I let out joyful bursts of hallelujah, which were echoed by my amazed school children. A few moments later, an evangelist's wife came along saying she wanted to pray with the girls. She'd heard our shouts and had come to see if she could help. I knew she was sent by God, for he had much work to do in their hearts. So I left them in her care. And soon the compound was ringing with their cries as the Spirit came down in convicting power and confessions of deep sin were made. This went on until about midnight. Yes, revival had come. From Lubutu, the blessing next spread to our largest center, Wamba, some 70 miles to the north. For years, this has been the most flourishing work on our field, with many out-churches, a strong body of evangelists, and large numbers of boys and girls, both in the bush and station schools. The missionary in charge, writing in October 1953, three months after the Spirit began to move among them, has given us a full account of their experiences. He starts by quoting John 16:8, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Ever since Sunday, July 19, he continues, we have been witnessing day by day the truth of these wonderful words. At the very beginning, we want to be careful to say that the doer of the wonderful works we have been seeing is the Holy Spirit spoken of in this text. The conversions have been marvelous. The whole compound is a new place, from missionaries to workmen and their wives to school teachers and their wives to houseworkers, schoolboys, and schoolgirls. We can say amen to the words of the late Bishop Ryle. If it were only a little mending, a little patching, a little turning over of a new leaf, then man might do this. But when it is a translation, a creation, a resurrection, God must do it. The first manifestations of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit began with the return to Wamba of an evangelist with his wife who had spent two years in the Lubutu area. They had seen the start of the revival there and told the people here of what they had witnessed. On Sunday, July 19, the morning service was taken by this evangelist and his wife. There was nothing unusual apart from the wife's shakings and shoutings of Hallelujah, Lord Jesus, during the singing. 
She had been doing this ever since they returned. At the close, I gave the usual invitation. When most of the people had left the building, one young school teacher turned back and came to sit on the front form. He looked a bit frightened and began to tremble. A girl with paralyzed legs sat on the front form of the women's side. We took no notice of her as she normally sat on until people had dispersed. But no sooner had Ioane, the teacher, began to speak than the girl, Biboko, began to cry. Her cry rose to a wail, then to a loud howl. I do not know what else to call it. Oh, the agony of it! She covered her face with her hands, but the tears came flowing through her fingers. When she finally became able to articulate, she cried, What shall I do? What shall I do? A hundred times over. By this time, the whole congregation had returned to the meeting. Baboko was crying her heart out, and Ioane was confessing his sins. Another woman, the wife of an elder who had been dismissed for sin, began to tremble and then to shake violently. Her shakings were quite uncontrollable. At that moment, a man came to tell me that my wife wanted me at the house. I hastened over and found a crowd around the door. As I broke through, I saw her bending over a man lying on the floor. He was our head workman. She had found him sitting, she had found him standing in the room with his arms uplifted, crying in an agony, Oh, my heart is wicked, my heart is wicked, oh, my sins, my sins. Then he fell headlong to the floor. He lay on his back, shaking and crying to God for mercy. I found her telling him, Hide nothing, confess everything you know. You cannot obtain mercy until you bring everything out. And quoting First John 1 9 to him, What a confession and what sin! Poor Froma, what it must have cost him to bring out all that hidden sin. You know, I listened to this, Alexandra, and I wonder, for you who are listening at, at home, in the office or the car, do you have hidden sin? Are there things in your life and in your heart that you know are wrong? Have you done things that are wrong? What would happen if you just brought out everything that you have done that you know or you have a question about being sinful? I can tell you what would happen. The same thing as is happening here. You would be washed. You would be made clean. And the presence of Jesus would come very close to you. So if you're saying to yourself, I have a cold heart. God is far away from me. I don't know how to find God. Here's where you begin. You confess your sin. You confess every detail of everything you've done. You take responsibility for it. You don't blame anybody else. You take responsibility before God. And you repent and you turn from it. Then you make it right with those who you have wronged. And if you can't make it right, you can ask for them to forgive you. It's vital. This is the biblical process. It's very simple. Not complicated at all. I mean, all we're really doing is just admitting what we did that was wrong. And we're saying we're sorry. 
and we're asking Jesus to forgive us. But we're doing more than that. We're repenting. Confession and repentance are not the same thing. Confession is bringing out in the open everything that I have done. Repentance is saying, okay, I'm done with it. I'll turn from it now and I'll never go back. And by the blood of Jesus, wash me. Lord, wash me. Make me clean. I'm done with that thing. And the supernatural work of God begins to work in your heart and in your life. And he sets you free. It's not by your white-knuckling it. Talk to a man who said, I just can't leave this sin. I've tried so hard, but I just can't do it. Well, of course not. You were never meant to do it. The blood of Jesus will do it. Anything you want to add? I just wanted to share that as I've <clears throat> read through this book, there's such a it's such a strong note throughout these stories of the revival in Congo that there's a full thorough, transparent, public confession of sin. And I was I was reminded of Charles Finney's lecture, which is actually on our blog at nationalprayerchapel.com. It's called How to Promote a Revival. And, you know, you're like, all right, I'm going to learn how to promote a revival. And you start reading it, and it's all about Christians confessing their sins. And he goes through an examination of conscience and really goes down into many specific sins of the church at that time. And he says to write down every sin as solemnly as if you were going to the day of judgment. He says your sins were committed one by one. And they need to be confessed one by one. And the reason why so many Christians don't have any feeling, why their hearts are so cold, is that they've never actually troubled themselves to do this thorough work of confessing their sins, which results in us having a tender and a broken heart. So I thought that was interesting that this has just been God's method like forever, that the way a revival is promoted is through confession of of every specific sin like this woman says she says hide nothing confess everything you know you cannot obtain mercy until you bring everything out and that's exactly what nobody wants to do today nobody wants to get up in the church service and actually confess every single sin that they know they've committed it's but, much, it's but much easier to say we can be saved in our sin but that's what, exactly what's needed for revival yes so we can't scoot around it and try to take a shortcut. As one pastor said to us, are you kidding me? I'm not going to get up front and undress. And so he walked away with his sin intact and is going to have a very difficult time. Or another dear brother whom I love who said, oh, I don't want to you know, confess my sins out loud in the meeting today. I just did it in my heart between me and Jesus. Well... Then the next Sunday, he doesn't show up in church, and he's still in bondage. And that's heartbreaking. He had the chance. You know, it was right there, and he just didn't do it. So now I worry about him. You know, was he ever going to come through? That's pride. We'll continue reading. Yes, yeah, so the man Froma is still on the floor. We asked him if he believed God had forgiven him 
on the strength of the promise. He said he did believe, so I took him back to the building and told him to testify to the people. He was still shaking, so we sat him on a chair. With arm uplifted, he told the people his sins and how he now believed God had accepted him in the Lord Jesus. Ioane then testified. So did Boboko and the other woman. Ioana said he had begun to leave the building with his friends. He had walked but five steps when his legs stiffened and he could not go forward. He heard a voice in his heart warning him that if he left the church without getting right with God, he would be a lost soul. He stood there fighting it out. Then he confessed to many disobediences, and at the close of his confession, was overwhelmed with the joy of forgiveness. He was the first case of drunkenness we saw. He swayed and sang and laughed. Later, he composed many hymns. The people then dispersed, and we knew we had seen the beginnings of a great movement of the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon once prayed, Lord, send us a season of glorious disorder. We were to see just that but such wonderful order in disorder. That evening, just as we had finished our missionaries' prayers, I was called to go to the workmen's quarters, as God was at work there. What a sight! I shall never forget it. The little building was packed with men. The women were outside, sitting, standing, lying on the floor, or lying in the arms of others, crying, shouting, confessing, agonizing. One of the men, lying helplessly in the arms of another, kept crying, My heart is vile, my heart is vile, oh, what shall I do? Who can give me a clean heart? I cannot appear before God with this wicked heart. After he had gone on like this for some time, I went up to him and said, You will never get relief by saying your heart is bad. Name your sins and know that the Lord forgives each sin that you confess. Then he laid bare his heart and confessed to deceit, adultery, drunkenness, etc. With what deep earnestness and remorse he confessed, I cannot put it on paper. But as soon as he had done so, he was filled with joy and praise, and then turned to help his friends who were still in distress. Pastor Donga was present with the men when I arrived. I don't know what we should have done without him and a couple of evangelists who were with us at this time. He's been a wonderful help all along. We cannot speak too highly of his spirituality, discernment, and knowledge of God's word, and how he has enjoyed this wonderful time of God's visitation. That evening, many of the workmen and school teachers came through. Some of them had been thrown on the floor and had writhed there until they had finished confessing. One of these, when he rose to his feet, said, While I was lying on the floor, God gave me a hymn. He had already, while on the floor, written about four verses and a chorus. He said God was telling him to sing it, but he did not know to what tune. So he began to sing and compose a tune as he went along. We followed him line by line. It was a good tune and quite acceptable. That was the first of a whole string of hymns and choruses composed by the men, women, and children. This one was all about the blood of the Lord Jesus and the oil of the Spirit. While we were singing, others went under conviction, and shook, fell, and cried. Some shouted out in agony of spirit. The distress of some was really terrible. The shame of having to confess to adultery and hypocrisy was hard to overcome. But not only did they confess to such gross sins, 
they also brought out insults, spite, calling names, and strings of sins of bickerings, murmurings, and discontent with the work or wages. A phrase which has become common to us all in these days is the whip of the Holy Ghost. The whip did a wonderful work that night, but that was only the beginning of things. Hardly anyone slept all night. Those who were blessed broke into singing from time to time. Others groaned and cried under conviction of sin. There was a lot of crying among the school children, especially the girls. On Monday morning, at the end of the meeting, one of the men remained in his seat under conviction of sin. When he began to confess, he was joined by others. The women left the meeting, but in a little while one returned. She sat on a form and began to weep. Then suddenly she gave a loud cry, jumped to her feet, and raced out of the building. With her arms outstretched, she flung herself down on the ground. I went to her and spoke of God's love and forgiveness of all the sins we confess and forsake. In comparison with some, she had no gross sins to confess, and as soon as she had finished, she said, Let us pray. She prayed aloud and then burst into such wonderful, glad praise. Her tremblings and agony ceased, and she came straight back and gave her testimony before all the men. Then she stopped abruptly and said, Let us pray. She led in prayer and then gave out a hymn. This was all wonderful to those who knew her, being a very small woman and very quiet. Her boldness was striking. While this was happening, Maria, the house mother of the schoolgirls, came stalking along the girls' compound, shouting in a language which no one could understand, and waving her arms in a very wild manner. She seemed absolutely mad. I took her by the hand and led her into the building. She said God had given her a new language and that it was French, but there was no French about it. I challenged her to answer questions about the Lord Jesus. This she did satisfactorily and maintained that she loved him supremely. That relieved me. She calmed down, so I allowed her to go, but she recommenced her wild ways, as I will tell you later. We continued to deal with the men. Several came through into grand liberty. One of the workmen had a hard time. He began to tremble most violently until it took four of us to hold him. What a horrible thing sin is. And when seen in the light of judgment and God's holiness, it is not surprising to hear convicted souls crying out, Woe was me, for I am undone, as Isaiah did. This man would confess a little, then cry out in sheer agony. He tried to get one word out, but simply could not. Each time he tried, the shaking still got hold of him that he could not utter a word. At last he got it out, and oh, how he shouted it at the top of his voice and repeated it again and again. Lust. Poor man. It brings tears to my eyes at the thought of it. At last he got rid of the whole burden. Then what joy! We have seen again and again that the people almost automatically burst into wonderful joy as soon as they had brought out the last known sin. But where there is not a full confession, the joy is only superficial, and there will be shakings until the whole is put under the blood. All the men who had been dealt with eventually got through by about midday, from 6.30 a.m. That evening, I was again called out to the workmen's quarters. I shall never be able to describe it all. There was a strong sense of heaven and hell. 
Some were in ecstasies of joy, jumping about just like wild men. Others were in fear of hell, lying around, groaning and writhing, the nearest thing to wailing and gnashing of teeth I have ever witnessed. Those who were through came rushing up to tell me of their wonderful relief, now that the burden of sin was off their shoulders. Others came asking forgiveness for deceit, hypocrisy, laziness, and disobedience. When most of the people got through, the whole scene changed into one of hectic joy. I have never seen anything like it. The women stood outside the building. Only one or two of them had come through into blessing. The men linked arms, danced, sang, leapt, threw their arms about in sheer delight. Some would shout, the Holy Ghost has come. Hmm. Others would call out, thank God for the blood of Jesus, and so on. From time to time, ones and twos would break away to go and get right with someone they had offended. I heard one school teacher confessing to another that he had a bad heart against him because the madame had made more of the other fellow than of himself. This went on until a late hour. Eventually, I suggested to Pastor Donga that the men had better rest. He called them to a halt. They obeyed instantly. That is a remarkable thing we have seen all through the revival. A willingness to obey, to accept exhortation, to take reproof. He asked an evangelist to close in prayer. There was dead silence. One could almost feel the deep spirit of awe and worship. Suddenly, one of the men shouted, We're not fit to stand in the presence of God. Down on your knees, men! Down they all went. It thrills me still as I write. It was a wonderful sight to see arms intertwined, and foreheads almost touching the ground. As soon as the prayer was finished, we all stood and sang. Such singing! Then we all returned to our houses, not knowing whether we walked on earth or in the air. We're sharing with you the story of the Spirit of Revival, a first-hand account of the Congo Revival of the 1950s, compiled by Norman Grubb. These are stunning accounts. And I read to you at the beginning of the broadcast the whole book of Jude. Men have secretly slipped in amongst us, pastors, teaching that we cannot leave our sin. We cannot be clean before God. We need revival. We need the power of the Spirit to come and set us free in America. A great work must be done. Because of that, the National Prayer Chapel is no longer doing business as usual. We have consecrated a place as an upper room. This upper room is for those men and women who have left their sin, who desire with all of their hearts for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and are willing to pay the price for that baptism, the price of fasting, and prayer, supplication, the price of honest confession of all sin, walking clean. If you're interested in that, you're welcome to call me. My phone number, and it's my personal cell number, is 703 489 1785. This is not for a place to visit. 
this is a place to make a very serious commitment to pray until the baptizing power of the Holy Spirit comes. Without this, the church is is gone. In fact, today there's very little of the church left. It's an event. It's it's dead, except for entertainment and human flesh. We have to have the Holy Spirit to change this. Yes. Anything else you want to say today? No. Well, we have just two minutes left in this broadcast. We would love to hear from you. You can contact us by going to our webpage. Nationalprayerchapel.com That's nationalprayerchapel.com There you can find our email address. You can send us a message. You can find our postal address, which Pastor Ray is about to give you. We'd love to hear from you. If this broadcast has changed your life, would you share your testimony? If you have a question you'd like us to answer on air, please write to us. You can reach us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. And I'm Alexandra Greenley, and we are from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. We love you. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.